Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Kentucky Commons Radio Hour. I am Michael Moeller, joined today... Hold on. Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Is that the name of your podcast? Kentucky Commons Radio Hour, yeah. That's a good name. I always freak out Oh yeah, no, I've been there. <laughs> are we filming? Yes. It turns out we are. Are you recording? Uh, <laughs> we are intro. recording. <laughs> <laughs> Moeller, joined today by David Satterley. We are not in Louisville. John Renane is not with us. Uh, we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, as part of our North Carolina series, uh, at lo- on location, kind of, <laughs> at, at Pilot Brewing here in Charlotte, uh, joined by Rachel Hudson. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Rachel. You are the um, you are the co-owner and head brewer at Pilot. Yep. You opened in 2018. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how yep. that project got started? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we've been open for uh, just about four years now, over four years. Um, I have been professionally brewing since about 2011, 2010. Can't even remember. And uh, yeah, I've been working. I started out in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I'm from. I worked for a brewery, a brewery called Hardywood. Um, I'd say before Hardywood, I was definitely greatly into the beer scene on the service side. I worked at some service bars for about the first five, six years of my beer life. And uh, so Hardywood Park was the first brewery I worked for about two, almost two years there. And that's where I really started to learn about brewing beer. Um, I knew a lot about the, you know, beer styles and the service of beer, but not a ton about brewing. And they are really the ones that taught me how to brew and come up with recipes and the whole nine yards. So it was a pretty awesome experience. Um, I moved after that to Denver, well, left Longmont, Colorado, close to Denver, to work for Left Hand Brewing um, for about a year as a shift brewer. And that was, you know, a whole different world. Very big brewery, uh, overnight brewing shifts, 24-7 schedule. So um, that got old after a while, the no. 24-7 brewing. But my husband now, boyfriend at the time, he is a pilot, hence one of the reasons why our brewery is named Pilot Brewing. But he was commuting from Philly to Denver while I lived there. So ultimately, we ended up moving here so he didn't have to commute so far to work. Um, in which case, I joined the NOTA Brewing team um, when we moved here in about 2015. And Worked there for a couple years, and we knew pretty quickly after we moved here that this is where we were going to stay and wanted to open a brewery. So um, we, we got to work on that pretty fairly soon. And, you know, 2018, we opened up Pilot Brewing, and, you know, it's a three-barrel, small nano brewery where we can just focus on making lots of different types of beer and having fun. And having come from a big brewery world, that was very enticing for me was to have some fun and not make the same beer all the time and try to take over the distribution game, if you will. Yeah, which has kind of shifted a little bit over the the course of your career here. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that shift. Um, So going from like a shift brewery to owning your own brewery, what was the the drive to really like, I can do this, I'll do it by myself. 
yeah own recipes i don't do that well working for other people uh you know I've, I've like to make the uh make the rules and the the plan so that that was a big drive for me but um also just you know really wanting it to do it for myself and like creating this environment where it was just more fun and um because you know not so monotonous when you're working at these bigger breweries there's a lot of work that just needs to get done but at our place we can really curve that and do more fun projects like guest brew days or different charity projects or collaborations with other breweries um so it just was just more of the drive to just not wanting to work for someone else and you know, have more fun with what we were doing. Over the course of a year, how many barrels of uh, left-hand milk stout do you think you made? <laughs> <laughs> I could make more beer at left-hand in a day than I can in a year <laughs> at our place. <laughs> so, But that, that's, the, that's the flexibility <laughs> of it. And, um, I mean, just transparently, like, being a shipper, did you learn that much about beer? You know, it's funny. You really got to take that upon yourself because right. you do learn what to do, right? You need to learn everything to be safe and how to do things correctly. But there's a whole understanding of the why that doesn't really happen um, in my experience. I mean, you pick up little things here and there, but I mean, you're hired to get this work done and you don't always get the type of training that would be awesome to have. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, so much different options out there. So yeah, I mean, of course, when I did open up Pilot, I also got on the the ball for studying for my advanced Cicerone. So those two things coincided with each other. And I'll tell you what, starting to study for that level made me realize how much I did not know about beer. And this is after completing second level. You know, sure. like this is in working in the beer industry for a long time. And there's still so much I don't know. And I'm still learning. And th- there is a lot of science and chemistry and biology behind it that's really important to, to know and to making great beer. But, and it, you know, in the world where you're just work, working, 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 it's hard to find time to learn the way you need to. Yeah, the education. Anybody that tells me, they're like, oh, I know I know all about this, and they start talking about it. I'm like, you don't know. No, I, I don't think you do. No, like, I, there's I so many. You, I can't <laughs> tell you one person I've met that knows 100% everything about beer. I mean, there's just so... I mean, you think you know, and there's a lot of people out there that know way more than me, and they're very smart, but there's still other countries that are brewing styles that we don't know anything about. There's still so many other things and new things, you know, look at all the uh, thialized hops and the oils and the extracts that you can now use that weren't available when I started out brewing and more stuff like that is just becoming, you know, discovered and invented and, and just the next thing. There's always the next thing. It's also sometimes a return to style too. I mean, just um anecdotally i saw that just a bunch of people out in san diego are starting to refer to their west coast ipas as san diego style ipas which is the traditional west coast style yeah. ipa but because west coast styles ipa got so popular throughout the u.s and now they're all being tweaked and done a little bit differently and now you have hazy west coast ipas like just terminology yeah. changes so fast over time too i mean i've sat at a bar on the west coast one time and heard someone describe their beer as a mid coast IPA. <laughs> who, uh, who was it? Is Bells or, or somebody has a no, has a no coast IPA? Okay, no coast. No there coast. you go. Yeah, we had a Midwest IPA in Kentucky that yeah. was short lived. <laughs> um, but since we've been in Charlotte, we've had a pub ale. Which had oh a, yeah, yeah, we yeah. have pub ale. Yeah. Well, not right now, but we do make a pub ale because pub ale sells better than ESB. 
the, when you call it pub ale, it oh. sells better than ESB. So pub ale is well, pretty much and, ESB. And I was going to get to this in a little bit, but you, you won two GABF golds for that. And, uh, uh, US Open for oh, the pub sorry. ale. Okay, gotcha. There's a lot of medals up there. It can be hard to keep Fair track. <laughs> well, either way, congrats on winning uh, for, for that style two years in a row. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we did. That's our ESB. Um, we just name it pub ale because that's what sells better. People see the word bitter in ESB and get nervous. They think it's a hoppy beer. Um, but it's not. It's a you know English easy drinking English amber ale. I mean, I don't think I see that where, where we are very much. So maybe that's uh, some advice that we can take back. If it if it makes people brew, to brew more ESB and if we just has to change the name, I'm yeah. Well, it. it's hard to sell a, you know the ESB name versus the pub ale name. I still don't um, like it. <laughs> oh, it's great. I will one day. But uh, like you said, you don't own a brewery, I, <laughs> and I don't want to. Yeah, Dude, that is fair. It's fair. <laughs> but uh, like going back to the education piece, like I, I had been in beer for several years and then ended up going down this track of the uh, beer judge certification program. And as part of that, you just go through and you you go by the guidelines, which, you know, in, in modern brewing just are kind of bastardized across mm-hmm. the board. And you, you start to go through like, oh, this is an example of this and this and this. And I was like, I thought I knew what this was. And I just I just didn't. And then you start to appreciate that a little more. And then you're like, but what the hell did those guys do? And like the innovation in this brewing scene is like interminable. They'll keep doing it. They'll keep changing things. And there's. It's kind of a free-for-all. Yeah. Well, that's what Americans do, right? <laughs> Never satisfied. Well with. said. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we do do a lot of brewing that within BJCP guidelines, we do like to enter competitions. So, you know, we'd like to brew within style. And, you know, people ask me what the most crazy thing we've done, and there's not a good answer, like, because our crazy things are normal these days, yeah. like our fruit at sours and, you know, our, but we don't do the fried chicken, you know, pumpkin pie pastry style that some of these other people or the New England IPA. I'm a very big, I don't like that style. We are more of a keep IPA clear again brewery. Um, so that, that can be, that's what you would find at Pilot Brewing. And one of the reasons we like to do that is because we like to enter competitions. And we, we have a clear IPA, right? Yeah, this is our West Coast IPA, our Island Hopper. Um, so Island Hopper, we brew year-round, but each batch fish, uh, features a different hop profile. Mm. So this hop in this one is the Dr. Rudy Hop. It's a New Zealand um, tropical hop. It's got a lot of lemon-lime character. It's a burst of citrus right there, yeah. Yeah, there's, we also use a quick yeast, uh, which is going to be really, really grapefruity. So the, between those two, you get lots of like just floral, tropical, grapefruit notes out of Island Hopper. Um, we call this a West Coast IPA. This is our, I would say this is not maybe as multi as like Pliny would be, but this is our West Coast style. Um, again, help saying something when we say it's West Coast, people actually get really excited because we're not tricking them with the name of our IPA and our sure. style and they know what they're getting. Um, so we, we this one works out well for us, and pe- it's been a real standout flagship for us. And people come to identify. Yeah, you definitely get that like lemongrass and pineapple notes, and it's got the right bitterness in it. Um, using the the kvikis, do you do you ferment it a little hotter or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we'll knock out around seventy five, and we'll just let it. We'll set the tank for like ninety, but it never it always gets up to about you know eighty four top. So when we were in the tap room, I noticed. Um, Good, good amount of cans in there. You, you have your own canning line in there. Mm-hmm. So you have a three-barrel system. 
Um, was canning always something that you think that, that you thought you wanted to do? No, it was definitely out of COVID. Um, we opened up with just beer on draft over the bar, a little bit of distribution, had a crowler machine. Um, and then when COVID happened, you know, like everyone else, we had to, to pivot. We actually had a fresh batch of Island Hopper, like ready to go the day that we closed our tap room. So we got our friends at Noda Brewing to can it for us. Like we took it over there in our kegs and we put it into their bright tank and, and they canned it up for us. And one of the local grocery stores ended up taking almost all of it for us in oh, awesome. an effort to help us save our, our beer. Cause we were not used to having to switch and do all this distro. So we, we teamed up with a local candy line um, that got to be a really big headache because, you know, if we had a 15 barrel brew house, they would make sense, but we're so small, they have different minimums for, you know, pricing and it just, we were never hitting that. So we were filling up three or four tanks at a time to can it all, to be able to, you know, put it in our cooler to try to sell it all just for the next time we had to fill up four tanks and empty them all at the same time. So we bought our candy line after, you know, a couple months after that. And it's a single head wild, got wild goose gasoline line. We do 15 to 20 cases at a time. It's perfect for us. We can just hook it up. It, you might, it's kind of, it's, it's right there behind the bar, but it's hard to notice because it's underneath the tarp, but it's, it's just smaller than this table that we're sitting at. It's this cool little thing. We kind of roll around. So we, we did that and we sell way more beer now because of it. I mean, I, I'm kicking myself. We should have done it when we opened, but. Yeah, the, the adaptability model of these breweries that face COVID and being able to pivot on that extremely quickly was really the, the game changer for. Oh, yeah. Like making sure that your business survived that. Um, and that's awesome that like it speaks a lot to Noda and the Charlotte community to just like, be like oh, yeah, hey, we're going to we're going to figure this out, guys. You know, let's go for it. Yeah, the Charlotte beer scene is very collaborative. We're very tight knit, more so than in Denver or Longmont or any of the places out there. In my experience, you know, everyone that lives out there is a brewer, literally. So <laughs> you just. <laughs> well, well, to that point, I mean, um, I believe everyone that works for you at Pilot also has a hand, hand in brewing as well. Yeah, we did start out really strong with that model where we had every, all, everyone was full time and they did half bartending, half brewing. Um, and we did that for about a couple years and then we've kind of started, everyone still has their hand in like a small batch and helping out and stuff like that. But we did start to kind of shift it where we do have one person who does full-time brewing now and we have um, one person who does full-time bar with a little bit of brewing. And then we have some part-time people that do uh, mostly bar and then we get them back there at least twice a month to brew beer. Or then sometimes they help out with cleaning lines and stuff like that too. So everyone's like super involved in doing the back of the house stuff to at least some sort of level. And no one doesn't like, no one's very, you know, blindsided when it comes to what's going on in the brewery. Yeah. And you're, you're introducing that education, like you said, like coming from a big brewery and like they're getting hands-on experience. Like, Oh, I know how to do that. You know, like I can, I can crash this. this yeah. It's or, great to like, they can like check gravities if I need them to, and I'm not there, yeah. you know? So well, like, and, that, and that, but they can also just speak to the beer a lot better too. Yes. If the customer's acting you, like you have a much better knowledge basis of somebody like you can, you oh, can yeah. do your best to prepare a bartender for, for what it is and taste them through something. But just knowing like, hey, yeah, I actually poured all that into the... Yeah, and doing the process and being there for the process is way different than just reading about it. And, and like having that different, that that knowledge or that understanding connect, um, it's a whole different world. So it is super important. It was one of the things that really bugged me was going into 
other breweries before we opened. It's like, you would just ask them a simple, like, what size is your system back there? And I get if you're not a brewer and you're not in that world, but like nobody would know anything. And I was just like, you know what? No, we're going to be that education place. We're going to, and we do, we get everyone through Cicerone, at least through the second level. Um, We do beer education nights. We put them through training, off flavor training, you know, off site training, whether it's, you know, through white labs or something like that. Wow. So we try to do whatever we can within our reason to, to get them knowledge because, at, you know, they could all do a fine job probably without doing that, but it's just way more fun. And we just like to have fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and they, you know, they're more invested in it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that second level of Cicerone is no easy task, really. I mean, the, anybody can kind of go out and take the course with a certified beer server. Hey, that was hard, man. <laughs> it's, like, it's a good introductory, but I mean, the second level, that takes some some studying and some time. Yeah. Um, and, and so I come from an IT background and kind of one of the companies I worked at, they had this whole policy that like, hey, if you're going to be in management or above, you have to work in the basically the tech support for two weeks. And I think that's a little anecdotally close to your model of like, hey, um, you, you can work in this position, but you're going to get your hands dirty and figure out a little bit about what's going on. And that's that's super cool. Yeah. So Thank tell you. us a little bit about the, the, the spot that we're in. I mean, did you... Were there other neighborhoods that you wanted to maybe open a brewery in? And why did you ultimately choose this one? Well, so Charlotte is like, you got the city kind of in the middle. And then you have all these pocket neighbor neighborhoods like outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And Plaza, one, we live in the city. So that, you know, being close to the brewery was super attractive. But Plaza Midwood and Noda neighborhood, we were really looking at specifically. We were also looking at the South End. But um, it was more coming down. Like any of those neighborhoods probably would have been great. It was more about the building and, you know, the deal and stuff. But one of the reasons we really liked being here and needed to be in one of these neighborhoods is for walking foot traffic. You know, we're not the big distribution brewery. We need sales over the bar. We're, we don't want to be that place where you have to have the hike to get out to because we need people to come into our tap room. So that was one of the reasons why we chose, A, just a neighborhood near the city. But Plaza Midwood specifically um, – it's just super artsy and chill and just down to earth. And that's just kind of what we are. And we just wanted to be, you know, somewhere that made sense for us. And was just, you know, it, you really could get any sort of really good vibe and local neighborhood feeling out of any of these neighborhoods. But, you know, just with the apartments all coming up right next to us and the train, tr- the train track uh, light rail just had an extension that comes right down the block. You know, we were kind of setting up for future is what we planned on with this location. Um, just more, we it's already pretty walkable. It's hard to describe when you can't see it, but the, you know, there's like 69 families that move here a day right now. Um, the last time I checked, or that could be people. But uh, like, it's crazy just with the explosion of, of who's moving here. We just needed to really be sure we were in the middle of that. And we also wanted to be close to the airport. You know, being pilot brewing, I should mention that our name comes from our small batch, you know, brewing program. Yeah, a lot of big breweries have pilot systems, so they do small batch and experiments on, and that's what's our niche. Also, my husband being a pilot. So being close to the brewery or close to the airport, all these pilots, they come for their overnight in Charlotte. They come they come check out their brewery. Um, so we knew being able to capitalize on that would, would is the smart move. 
Well, I would also love to get into this uh, this beer right yeah. here that we have, the Powerhouse Pomegranate Pale. Yeah, so this is our collaboration. Feel free to open it. This is our collaboration with Sam Adams Brewery. Um, we, I'm sure you're familiar with Pink Boot Society. Yes. So they had a conference here last February, and we have female brewers, and Sam Adams has female brewers that were coming down for the conference, and they just they reached out and asked if we wouldn't wanted to do a collaboration with them. And of course I said yes. I did not care what the beer was. <laughs> it probably could have been a New England IPA. I would have been fine with it. But um, I no. So uh, the the lady who is the head brewer for their Boston tap room, her name is Megan. I've known her since I've worked at Hardywood Brewery, and we did a couple collaborations together at Hardywood. So when her the other ladies that worked at Sam Adams mentioned they wanted to do a collaboration with someone down here. She was like, well, you got to go to pilot. So I was like, thank you very much for this. So they came down here. We did this uh, pomegranate pale ale. This was uh, mainly their recipe that we brewed down here. And uh, proceeds of the beer goes to Pink Boot Society clubs, The uh, well, the chapters of Charlotte and mm-hmm. Boston specifically. And it's just a really light, easy drinking pale ale with like a kiss of uh, pomegranate. It's not a super big fruited beer. Um, it's really nice and easy. And then, so while they were down here, they we had a, a Southeastern IPA on our board that they had never seen and got super excited about that. So a couple months ago, we went up to their tap room and we brewed their Southeastern IPA at their place too. So awesome. we've just been going back and forth and brewing beer together. <laughs> Uh, one of our own out of Kentucky, uh, Kate Russell from Hopkinsville Brewing, actually won the contest for Brewing the American Dream with Sam Adams. Oh, yeah. So cool. Uh, another Pink Boots member uh, yeah. that we've done a little bit of work with, um, but she got to go up there and brew their recipe in collaboration with Hopkinsville, which is a tiny, it's, tiny little town. I mean, like, yeah, it's it's so small. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, it is small. It's a small brewery. And, and they're killing it because they're also one of really, I mean, the, the next closest brewery isn't probably for another 45 minutes away, hour. Um, wow. So for them to have that experience to also just be able to go and, and brew on Sam Adams Systems in, in Boston was incredible for Sam them. Sam Adams, they're so cool. They're so nice. Like, you could be anyone. Be like, can I brew beer? They're like, yeah, I brought it. But but to sit down with you, this is the second woman-owned brewery that they've partnered with. I mean, that's, that's something to There's say. a lot of females yeah. that work there, you know. So yeah. it makes sense. We all know each other and just keep hanging out. Brew well, it together. Well, this beer, by the way, it's very nice. Just a t- touch of fruit, like you said, touch of pomegranate. Yeah, it's not much at all. It's perfect. This also uses the quick yeast. Uh, the whole reason Island Hopper uses the quick yeast is because we used it for this one, and I just loved it so much. So, yeah, this it was a fun beer to brew. That's, uh, yeah, I, I think the juxtaposition between a three-barrel brewery and Sam Adams doing a beer together is really neat. Yeah, especially a Southeastern IPA that they did, like being a New England brewery. It's like, yes. Because Southeastern IPA really is a... We'll go ahead and talk about it since we're talking about it. But it's a... uh, Our little FU to the New England IPA. It's (laughs) supposed to be clear, uh, low bitterness, high hop flavor, high hop aroma, but more on the clear side. So they do use the use of corn or grits, uh, or rice to the style that's the defining mark of the style it's kind of a style that the head brewer of Noda made up and like right when I was leaving 
So we started brewing these, and now we've got some other breweries to brew it, and it's been really fun to see other people, especially Sam Adams, make Southeast IPA. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not really a style that I'm very familiar with or even really heard of before, yep. so... That's how styles happen, right? Yep. Someone has to make it up and push it. <laughs> so, so is this a quintessential uh, North Carolina style? It's going to be the Southeastern it, it, it might. It, you know, it started out here in Charlotte. Um, yeah, feel free oh, to open yeah, it. So th- we call this our Alley-Oop IPA. Uh, we do a Charity of the Month program. And each month we feature a different charity. And for August, our charity was ca- is called um, Inspiring Athletes and Academics. And they provide basketball training and tutoring to kids so alley oop is the name of the beer which is you know based upon basketball so i felt like i need to explain that so you understand why it's named that yeah uh just from a marketing standpoint i love the qr code for the donation link yes just right there on the can yeah we're really big into our community charity work um we don't stop at just our charity of the month program we do anything that anyone wants to do and we can do really but yeah, well, we like to throw that little QR. Anything that can raise just an extra awareness for them is just a nice little touch. Because, you know, I think some people get super excited, like, oh, I want to be your charity of the month. They're like, we're not a big brewery. Like, we're not passing out, you know, $3,000 checks or anything like that. Like, it's a little money, but it's it's more about the awareness. This this hop, I, I, it's familiar. I can't think of So it. this beer has um, the Who Melon. And Nelson Sauvignon. Nelson, that's what, yeah. Hops. So I went, I went all New Zealand, tropical, melon, white wine, grape flavor. You get that white grape on it, for sure. I really love this style. It's got 20%, maybe about 22% flaked corn, um, a little bit of Munich, a little bit of, uh, you know, well, the base malt. That's about it. You know, my, my philosophy with beers is like the simple, the recipe is normally always the better recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Well, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask, like, do you, being a smaller brewery, like, what what challenges do you run into specifically at, at that scale? I mean, obviously, if something goes wrong, the dump isn't that bad, but sure. I mean, you know, there's. I definitely wear more hats probably than a bigger brewery owner would. You know, sometimes I need to cover the bar, or you know, I got to do whatever I need to do to make the brewery operate luckily i can work every single part of the brewery and don't have to rely on anyone else which was very crucial during covid (laughs) (laughs) i don't we get really you know we have such a good working environment and i go extra lengths to make sure that everyone is very happy that works there um i and i not that that's a an issue but like it prevents a lot of headache. We do we do a really good job of taking care of our people, and they do a really good job of taking care of our brewery. But you know it's the same issues that maybe everyone has. You know, you know, more money, more problems, sure. kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, like at the for the most part, I say we're pretty blessed. Like we don't have, you know, we could always be making more money. We could always pay back our debt faster. We could always do this and that, but. We, we have it pretty good. We get to do a lot of fun things. So, I you know, I say the biggest the biggest issue we have is just not enough people, enough time to, like, really, like, I could probably double my production if I had, a, you know, extra pair of hands back there and I didn't have to be back there. So I could do something else, you know, stuff like that. that that's probably my biggest headache is um, I wish I had maybe, like, one more person, full-time person. That's probably my biggest 
part because we we don't we have low turnover, which is awesome. Um, we also put a lot of people training and money into our people, so it's really good that we have low turnover. But yeah, I, I feel I feel pretty lucky, you know. Yeah, and, th- and there's something that's really special about a true small batch, and and just it's it's here, it's now, uh, might not be here next week. So just- yeah, we do a new beer every Friday. Uh, we're able to do that because we have like some really small. We have a you saw the big system, but we also have like a half barrel system back there with half barrel fermenters. Oh wow! Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is that is a pilot batch. <laughs> it is a true pilot brewery. We have. Four six barrel fermenters with for our big system and four half barrel fermenters for our oh small my system. Goodness. So it allows a lot of people to be able to brew and and that's the best thing too is like they can really take their own recipe and try it and we don't have to dedicate six barrels of it, you know, to yeah. to sell. Just same amount of time. Yeah, just same amount yeah. of time. <laughs> well, one one thing that we always like to ask uh, people when we're on the road and traveling is, uh, are are you aware of the Kentucky Common beer style? Oh yeah. Oh yeah? yeah, have you ever made one? Gosh, I have don't you ever think I have. One. Yeah, I've definitely drank them. I mean, I'm steady for Cicerone. I've seen right, right. <laughs> I've uh, anything in that BJCP list. I have definitely had. Um, yeah, you know, I was. It's funny because I had that conversation with someone like a month ago. How I, we haven't brewed one. Um, just not that exciting, you know. For me, I see. I am. I like. I could be like the last person who cares. I'm like, all right. I just need to get this. I make sure we have some IPAs. We have our light beer. We have our pilsner, and then I got to make sure we have all those again because they all ran out. <laughs> <laughs> so, but luckily, having everyone brew, like we've had some styles come out of there that I've, I don't want to brew. That it sounds boring. And then we win a medal for it. So I'm like, thank you <laughs> for brewing that small beer because it was on point and it won us a medal. When, when people think about Kentucky, they you know think of bourbon and baseball bats and uh we're, we're trying to introduce you did ask me that and i didn't even say kentucky when we were walking over here you're like what do you think oh, yeah. about well that, that's all right because that's I was like, just something that, that's just some messaging that we want to push it's yeah. just hey we, we are known for this very specific indigenous u.s beer style that you are might be seeing a resurgence i mean it just got added to the uh, uh brews association list of accepted beer styles um last year 2021 for um Competition. Competition. Yeah. That list changes every time. I feel like it had to have been on there like beforehand. Don't. Nope. First time. What? Yep. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. That style? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's like not popular, but it's so old. No. Uh, another one of the female brewers back home in Louisville, the Leah Dinas from Apocalypse Brewer, she actually co-wrote the style guidelines for BJCP for that beer. So she's been a huge proponent in the resurgence and we've been- Yeah. It's like the only- um, Besides, it's like her beer and Acre Steam are like the only commercial exam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the Flying Dog has one. There's not There's not many out there that you could find on a regular basis. No, no. We've been trying to like lay the smack down on people. So the point is, you got some half barrels back I should, there. I should have made one for GABF. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that easy winner. There you yeah. go. <laughs> well, that, that's the easy Low, low entry. <laughs> exactly. How many do you think you're going to see there? Not many. Are you going to go to GABF? Oh, yeah. I'll I'm be actually there. judging for the first time nice. this year, oh, so I'm excited for that. It's very cool. So I'll be there. I'll be there doing that, and I was just going to go for the award ceremony originally, but now I'll be there the whole week. Nice. So it should be fun. I'll I'll come in there on on the sixth and stay through the ninth, and it's going to be a good time. Um, uh, to that point, though, um, you're not just brewing; you also have a podcast. We understand. Yep. What's yep. going on there? Uh, I ho- co-host a podcast called Fault's Bottom Girls. Uh, 
co-host it with my friend Jen Blair, who works for the Cicerone program. She's also at Advanced Cicerone. And we started it out of a need to win a contest. It's very characteristic of us, if you <laughs> know us. But she, the NPR was having a contest for a new podcast. She's like, let's do this so we can win. And I was like, okay. But then we're going to have to do this podcast if we win. We did not win. Uh, but she still wanted to do it, so we did it, and we've just been doing it for oh, God three years now, and yeah, we just released. We're just talk about beer, our opinions about beer. It's we've been known, we've been called a safe space for podcasts um, from some female viewers or women viewers, or awesome. which I really appreciate. Um, not to do it on the white man, but you know, it's not another white man podcast. Totally, <laughs> we hear. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we put a we have a Patreon that you can sign up for. We have a website, falsebottomgirls.com. You can find us, you know, wherever you find your podcast. It's called falsebottomgirls.com or falsebottomgirls. And yeah, check us out. Give us a like. Look check, look us up. Um, we've ha- got epi- we talk about everything from what it's like to just have a beer clean glassware to chemistry of water. So it can get pretty in-depth and pretty uh, boring sometimes. But <laughs> no, not really. It's, I'm the comic relief, so it's never boring. <laughs> well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, we really appreciate you inviting us into your space and, and introducing some, some new beers to us, uh, especially in this new style of the Southeastern IPA. Yeah, yeah. Permit Start permit. going to all your tap rooms and asking for it. Just to help me make it a thing. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. If you make Kentucky Common like, a thing. Well... <laughs> I don't feel like I need to make it a thing. I feel like You're it's right. already like a thing. It's, 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 it's a thing. But it, it's a thing that needs to come back. It does. It does need. Well, you know, I like to win medals. So yeah. I'll put that on my <laughs> to do for brewing to win medals. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's finish this beer, guys. Cheers. And thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for having me. me.